What's up, everyone? Is anybody like me also like Rainforest Cafe? Rainforest Cafe, yeah, yeah. That's what this reminds me a little bit of. Like, you know, and it's the rainstorm. Like, you hear the rain outside, and all of a sudden, just like, strobe back, and you're like, whoa, what's happening? It's like that. So let's pretend that it's all intentional, and it's not just the fact that we live in Florida, so it's raining all summer long, and also, you know, technical difficulties happen. So anyway, um, we're going to continue on in our journey in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Tonight, we are winding down in the book of Philippians. So if you want to head over there, we're in verse 14. Um, If you're using a digital version, we're reading out the English Standard Version, so it's a little easier to all follow along. Now, as you are flipping there... Where we are at tonight is picking up directly from where we left off last week. So Paul, the author of this letter to this church in a place called Philippi, um, is, he is writing this letter of in, um, expressing incredible care that he has for them and the incredible care that he has received from them. And in doing so, and specifically what he is talking about is he has just mentioned how he has been the benefactor of such incredible generosity from this church. And what I would love for you to see tonight is he is going to talk about the reception of this generosity from this church in a way that fights back at any version um, that we might have in our lives, in our minds, to believe that we are either called to live self-sufficient lives or that we are supposed to be all-encompassing or that we are supposed to just live entitled lives, receiving everything and giving very little. Now, when we can easily think um, in terms of self-sufficiency, believing that I don't need to receive from anyone else. It is my job to pull myself up from my bootstraps. It's my job to get my act together, to figure it all out, not to ask for help, not to receive help. To do that could either put me in debt to somebody else or it's, it's actually a sign of weakness. And I know what that one feels like. Uh, one example, I've shared parts of this with you guys before, but when Allie and I, a couple of years back, when we were bringing Asher home from China, we got stuck there for two months. And when we did, there was a church that before going, we knew no, before going to get Asher, we knew nobody from this church, okay? It's a part of the same church planning network as Mosaic. And we had one, um, one friend who used to go there, but had since moved on. But we knew nobody directly in there. But this church took care of us. They helped ensure that we had housing. Uh, We were regularly getting invited over for dinner like four or five nights a week over there. Uh, The the pastor and his family threw a birthday party for Allie. Like we didn't know them at all before going there. And they took care of us. They came, uh, they sent somebody with us to consulate and government offices to broker uh, the negotiations and the conversations. We had babysitting, we had shoulders to cry on, we had people to celebrate with us, we had free bagels and coffee that was roasted in-house, like literally in somebody's house, it was awesome. Over and over and over again, we just kept receiving day after day for two months. And that sounds awesome, but I remember it feeling really difficult, especially like past the one month mark. It's like, okay, now we have to be a burden. What can we do? And I remember receiving and just feeling like we were receiving this accumulation of our great debt against these people. And we didn't know them very well at all, but now they have done so much for us. Like they put their lives on hold to take care of us. 
And I remember talking to the pastor and I was like, hey, after a while, the conversations were like, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Do you like, do you need a Sunday off? Do you need me like sermon prep for you? Do some research? I mean, do, you, do you have hard conversations? You need somebody to have? I'll go do those for you. Like, do you, do you need me for free on staff or something? Like, I didn't know what to do. So I wanted to pay back the debt. And his simple words to me were, all you need to do in this season is receive. And that was really hard (laughs) to learn to receive genuine care. So that's on the one hand, that we live in a posture of self-sufficiency to believe that to receive is a sign of weakness or it's going to um, produce some indebtedness to somebody else. On the other hand, we can live with a posture of entitlement where we expect much from others, but we give very little at all. I have to be honest enough to say that I for sure struggle with this often in my heart and in my mind. And I was thinking about this that so often that I, I can speak for myself and maybe this relates to you, but I know that I am living with an entitled mindset when I am often and easily disappointed by others who don't come through the way that I believe they should. Does that make sense? Like uh, my expectations, I mean, they didn't agree to those expectations. We didn't have a conversation about those expectations, but yet there they are breaking the expectations that they should have absolutely known that I had in my mind and in my heart for them, right? And see, that also takes us to a place where we will, where our expectations are high for others, but we do very little to be intentional in offering genuine care for others. And that's rough too, right? To consistently live in a posture of looking for opportunities to generate and to demonstrate genuine care. Do either of those sound familiar to your everyday lives, your heart and your mind? Do you find it difficult to receive genuine care from others? Do you always like get a little squeamish or like people are like trying to bless you and then you're like, ha, you're like, I'm gonna duck that one. Or do you struggle to receive because you, because you don't know what the true cost might be. You just don't know it yet. Or if you're honest with yourself and you admit that sometimes you can feel pretty entitled and you lack intentionality to give. See, it's likely that whichever posture you might personally struggle with, or maybe it's both, there are habits and postures that you were taught, maybe from family of origin or from friend groups or from the culture in which you come from. But the gospel is meant to inundate us into a new culture. So the question for tonight is simply this, how does the gospel transform our understanding of both receiving and giving genuine care? Now, last week, we learned from Paul's great gratitude for the church, that he had received genuine care from them in the form of financial partnership. And he was very encouraged. Uh, This was in verse 10, where we were last week. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So they had started supporting him financially again. He knows that they never stopped caring, but they, they didn't have the opportunity to express that with financial generosity towards him. But now they are back at it. And he says, not that I am learning of, being in, of speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, Paul is so grateful for their partnership, for their financial care, but not 
because his contentment, his inner well-being is contingent on the circumstances of his life. Instead, he has learned, because remember, he is sitting in prison in Rome for the last three years of his life. He has learned that he can sit even in these difficult circumstances and can be content because he knows that he's unified with Jesus. Which he gets at in verse 13, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, that's what he's learned so far. That's what he's expressing to the church so far. I'm thankful, but it's not because it's necessarily the stuff that you have to offer me, but it's because this partnership means a great deal to me. And so that takes us to where we're at tonight, starting in verse 14, where he begins to express and kind of explore this wondrous generosity that they have shown to him. Yet it was kind, verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you have sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, what he, we are closing down at the end of this letter and he once again evokes one of the major themes of this letter which is the theme of gospel partnership, that we are not meant to do the work of the gospel in isolation from one another, but instead in interdependence on one another, that we have great need of one another in the family of God, that we aren't meant to live siloed off existence, that we are meant to get into one another's business and care about one another intentionally and knowing what's good and bad in other. So he begins this paragraph very much encouraged by their care because in doing so, what does he say? They are sharing my troubles. They are lightening his load. His troubles have been very heavy, but their care, their partnership makes the weight feel a bit easier to bear. Have you guys ever been in a rough season and then a friend comes alongside and helps carry that load with you? Doesn't that mean a great deal? They come alongside you and, they, and, 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 and you're really struggling financially and they come and help pick that up. Or you just need a friend that's just gonna listen to you or just gonna give you sound wise advice and they just come and they just kind of pick you up. And it feels lighter. It feels easier. It doesn't feel easy, but easier because you know you're not alone. And that's where Paul's at here. His troubles have been heavy, but their care, their partnership has made the weight feel a little bit easier to bear. So now Paul is going to go and recount their history of gospel partnership with him. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. What he is getting at here is that they have cared for him in relationship and with their resources from what he describes is from the beginning of the gospel. Now, what he specifically means by that phrase is from the time that the gospel was first made known in Philippi, when he came and helped start this church about a decade before. For the last decade, they had offered continual care from the earliest time that they knew Jesus, they already began to respond in generosity towards Paul and towards the mission that God had called him to. That's what Paul's experienced. He's experienced generosity. He's experienced care. And it wasn't just like one, a one-time gift at the beginning. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Like it kept coming. And now it's kind of, it's restarting. In other words, you were all so quick to live out your generous care from the earliest moments up until now. See, I don't know if there are many more beautiful images of the gospel that can be displayed than when the church is living in gener- generosity. I have seen radical generosity play out. I've been thinking about this as I was prepping this message over the last few weeks. The radical generosity demonstrated by this community over the last eight years that I've been here. I have seen such radical generosity, whether it's been individuals caring for one another, whether it's been informally as the church just takes care of one another together. And I've seen it corporately as we have done this organizationally together. I was thinking about this and kind of just replaying some of the stories that I have heard recently and in the past. And as I was just kind of jotting some down, I, these are some of the ones I was thinking of. I mean, I've, I, I, I had the opportunity in my role to kind of get to hear different things from different people's lives in different capacities. And I was thinking about how this community has been so good at treating one another in so many ways as brothers and sisters coming alongside one another to financially care for one another's unexpected financial situations, doing things like paying for groceries, covering counseling costs, um, paying with help for rent, offering resume help, offering interviewing help, like just such beautiful things that have just kind of taken over and just happened in our community. Not because there was some official mosaic thing, but because we are the church. And we're brothers and sisters and we take care of one another. I was thinking about informally together, how that's played out. When again, it's not like some official mosaic thing. I was thinking about like about seven years ago, there was a house of about eight girls who were all a a part of our community. And I, uh, Allie was one of them at the time and they had this bed bug infestation. It was gnarly. Like I know gross, right? It was gnarly. And it was, it was this huge house, so um, a bed bug and uh, whatever you do to get bed bugs out is probably not going to be cheap, cheap or quick, right? And so the word got out in our community about that. And I think within just a couple days, the entire cost was taken care of. Again, not because something happened on a stage, but because the community decided to take care of one another. And those aren't outlier stories. I was thinking about this organizationally together. Now, from an organizational standpoint, 
I've seen this happen time and time again through things like special offerings when um, offering care for our global partners. Most recently with Elizabeth and Trey's, we're coming back for a sabbatical period and this community surrounding them with a matching grant. Like that's so cool. I've also seen it in our discipleship relationships as our community has been discipled into generosity and taking care of one another and taking care of the church. I have the opportunity over the last three years I've been in my role to receive every once in a while kind of just our expenses and uh, our um, uh, the income that we get through tithes and offerings. And as I was, and as I get those, what I am constantly perplexed by is that God has allowed us to be a community that covers so much of the percentage of our of our operating costs for a church that's this transient that we exist at Walt Disney World. I mean, you guys know this. I'm assuming that we're a part of. We're one church with two campuses and the Winter Garden campus is not quite, doesn't, wouldn't fit in this room, right? Uh, But yet, so we have, we kind of have like a safety net in the fact that we have another campus that we partner with, right? Financially, but yet that hasn't stopped our campus from being incredibly generous to take care of our campus. I think that's so cool. To take care of all the normal everyday expenses is beautiful. It's a sign of stewardship, of care. It's so cool. See, don't see any of this as divorced from the call of the gospel. Don't see any of this as divorced from what God, what Jesus has called us into. See, Jesus said that the watching world will know that you are my followers by your love for one another. And this plays out in so many different ways. This plays out when you have a rough relationship for somebody who's sitting in a different row than you, even here tonight. But instead of, instead of just cutting bait and saying that relationship doesn't matter, you press in and you say, let's have the hard conversations. Instead of gossiping about one another, you refuse to gossip. Instead, you engage with that person. And it happens when we live in generosity toward one another. See, we are, the ex- we are the recipients of such extravagant generosity through Jesus. The Father. The Father sent Jesus into the story of humanity to redeem, to restore, to unite, to resurrect us. The generosity of God on display in the gospel is unbelievable. And it's something that's so easy to take for granted. Talk about feeling entitled. Do any of you ever feel entitled to the gospel? Me. But if there's ever anything that we could not deserve, it would be the grace of Jesus, right? It would be what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. See, we are the recipients of such radical generosity. So when we partner together in offering genuine care, what we are doing is we are living out a demonstration of the gospel in our hearts and our minds. And we are putting out display with our actions. See, the gospel's beauty is displayed when we live as active participants in care towards one another. Gospel partnership is not meant to be the outlier. Like those stories, those stories are not meant to be the outlier stories of a community. They are meant to be the epitome of a community that follows after Jesus. The norm should be radical generosity and care for one another. 
Now, we know that that's not always the case. It wasn't the case in the early church. It's not the case today. But that's the ideal. That more and more gospel partnership, genuine care would be what radiates and emanates from our hearts and our minds and plays out into our lives. That we would see each other as genuinely needed pieces of the puzzle to our community. That without which there would be something missing. That whether you call this particular local church your home or whether you call some other local church your home, that you would exist there in that community and not as a spiritual consumer. Not just coming, getting your spiritual or community filling and then bouncing. Especially bouncing once it gets tough, you feel left out or when someone hurts you emotionally. See, when things get hard, in the family of God, we are meant to press in more. But that's hard. But this is what the gospel calls us into, to see one another as family, to see ourselves as gospel partners with one another. Do you see yourself as a gospel partner with others here or in whatever church you call home? Gospel partnership, it comes out into play in a number of ways, whether it's growing in friendships, whether it's serving within community, whether it's using the gifts and the resources that God has given you to provide for and to care for others. See, this is what Paul experienced from this church over and over and over again. And this is what Paul offered this church that he helped get off the ground a decade before. See, the gospel's beauty is displayed when we live as active participants of care toward one another. Verse 17, Paul continues, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See, gospel partnership is not just meant to involve finances, but it definitely doesn't exclude it. And I love here the heart that Paul expresses in receiving their generosity. What he's saying is, it's not so much that I needed the gift, because again, my contentment, it's not contingent on my finances. But instead, I wanted you to bear much fruit. See, they have the opportunity to grow in their faith as they trust God with everything, including their finances. They have the opportunity to demonstrate love for their brother by giving generously. They have the opportunity to find their contentment, not in their bank accounts or whatever the ancient world's equivalent was to that, um, but through Jesus. To see that through Jesus, they had opportunity. And see, that's what everything that we have been given is ultimately meant to be viewed by us as, is opportunity. Whether it's the money in your bank account, whether it's the skills, the talents that you've developed, whether it's the gifts that God has given, anything that you have received is opportunity. So the question is, what do you do with that opportunity? And see, for this church, they, Paul's excited because they have clearly seen this opportunity and now he is encouraged because this increases to their credit. This is fruit of their works. They see their opportunity to light the burden of Paul. And that's encouraging for Paul. The gospel's beauty is displayed when we live as active participants of care towards one another. 
And then Paul continues, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's like, I'm covered, y'all. Like everything I need, it's, it, and what you just did, wow, incredible. He's, he is not somebody on some TV ad that's asking to send in more money. He's like, no, I'm good. It's good. It's to your credit. I'm excited. I'm thankful. But do you see this? I've received everything. I'm well supplied. The gifts you sent, Unbelievable. But notice the phrase that he uses here. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Is that just like Christianese or is that only Paul can say things like that? See, here's the thing. When we partner together, we become active participants in God's provision. I'll say that again. When we partner together, we become active participants in God's provision. I know that whenever my family has been cared for by, by the church, by our church, you know where my mind goes? I first think, man, I'm so thankful for this community. But truly my mind goes to the place where I go, man, I'm so thankful that God took care of us. Have you ever experienced that? When somebody has been just so generous and caring for you in whichever which way, and you're just like, man, I'm so glad that God invited me into this community. I'm so glad that God has provided for me in that way. Now there were people that were involved in that, but the praise and the honor and the glory goes to God. And that's what Paul is doing here. This is what makes it a fragrant offering to God because it's not a dead sacrifice sitting on an altar in Jerusalem. It is a living sacrifice, a fragrant offering. See, there are no more dead sacrifices required because Jesus is the true and better sacrifice of death, except he didn't even stay dead. He was resurrected. And the beauty of that reality is we now don't give sacrifices of death. We give sacrifices of life. What we do is a response of worship. And when God sees his kids taking care of one another, like when this church in Philippi was taking care of Paul nearly 2,000 years ago, or when today you and I take care of one another, when we do that, when we hear about somebody in need in our community and we step in and step up, when we hear about a need for a global partner and we step in and step up, when we hear about a ministry space that needs, uh, that needs new volunteers, we step in and we step up. When we give generously into a number of different spaces and causes and we step in and we step up. To God, this is a fragrant offering. Do you believe that? I think it's a little hard for me to connect sometimes to things like that because it sounds so big, so grandiose, right? But it's a fragrant offering. Because in those moments, he's the only one that we can actually praise. His sons and daughters are partnering together, finding their contentment on their circumstances, their abilities, their finances, but fully in Jesus together. As a dad, uh, I, I have a little sense of what that might feel like. I'm, any of you who are parents, I'm sure you relate to this, but when, when Asher and Abby are doing something kind for one another, it feels good to see that. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes they just hit each other, but like, so 
But when they are doing something kind for one another, when Abby wants to make sure her brother has a snack, when Asher wants to make sure that his sister's being taken care of, it's cool. It's like, it's fragrant. What an image of the kingdom of God playing out. And it's playing out in this story in Paul's prison cell in Rome. And it's playing out in this story in this little local church in the backwoods of Macedonia in the far off country of Philippi. In both places, the gospel's beauty is displayed as they are living as active participants of care towards one another. And I love how Paul brings us now to closing into this, into this blessing. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that cool? Like he, he's, he started off so practical, right? You've basically, I'm like, he's writing a thank you letter. But then he turns it to this place of saying, and I'm so thankful to God. And now I want to go to God on your behalf and ask him to do this to continue his care. So Paul concludes this final encouragement, the blessing to them that their needs would be met, that they'd be reminded not of his care, but of God's care. And ultimately all the praise and the glory and the honor would go to God, our father forever and ever. Amen. So I'll ask again, do you typically find yourself quick to receive, but not intentionally caring for others? Do you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum, like living a posture of walls up. Like, I don't know if I can receive, if it might be like a Trojan horse kind of thing, or it looks like a gift on the the outside, but then as soon as I let it in, then all of a sudden I'm going to find out that it was a trick or there's some death that I now owe or some other scheme. See, the reality is, is if we live with either of these postures, it keeps the focus on us instead of the reception of what God is doing in us, through us, and around us. So my encouragement tonight is simple. I don't know what God is calling you into. I don't know if right now he needs you to be in a posture of receiving or or his desire is that you'd be more intentional in giving. But wherever you are at, what my desire for you and for me is that we would be in a posture of just being open-handed with God. Not even so much open-handed with one another, but open-handed with God. And in doing so, we become more open-handed with one another. See, where I experience God's presence through his people and their care has been phenomenal. And my hope for our community is that we just continue to press into this. And this is something I've seen time and time again in our community. So here's what I would love to happen right now. Let's go ahead and take a minute. And what I'd love for us to do is simply just talk to God for a second about this. Just ask him, Lord, is there a space right now that that I need to be stepping in or pressing in into radical generosity. Let's just take a minute and then I'll I'll conclude. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his followers by the way we love one another. Do you believe that? I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. 
Imagine if when the world looked at the church, you and me, they actually witnessed the radical unity, the radical generosity, the radical care of the church on display, a type of care that doesn't make sense, a type of care that feels like, why? What do you get out of it? That's what I want cast members at Walt Disney World to experience from those who call this community home, from people that go to churches all around this area, that that's what would be known of the church is radical unity and generosity. But not because we're awesome, but when anybody looks at us and sees that, that where they go is, man, why are they so different? It's not because we're better. It's just because we know Jesus and we're united to him. Not out of debt or entitlement do we give but out of mutual care and affection, we take care. We sacrificially demonstrate the love and the presence of God toward one another. That gets me excited. What about you? So here's what I'd love for us to do right now. I'd love to pray over our community um, and also over the churches in this area and just pray that God would begin to do a work of this in their hearts. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, I thank you that you are generous and you're not just generous when I feel that you are generous. You are generous because that's just who you are. You were generous long before me, long before us, long before we rebelled, long before we walked away. You were generous towards us. So Father, tonight I just pray that we as your church would, would press into that, be reminded of that, would experience that in our hearts, that our passions would be reignited by your generosity, that we wouldn't live with stingy hearts, that we wouldn't live with self-sufficient hearts, but that we would live open-handed to your movement in us and through us that we would look at our bank accounts and not hold tight-fisted. Lord, I confess today during nap time as Allie and I were going over our budget that I was so tight-fisted. Lord, forgive me. Open up my hand, open up my heart, open up my mind to be generous as you have been generous to me. Lord, make us a community that lives in generosity towards one another. Be with the church in Orlando, Lord. We pray for every church in this area that they would be known by their faith in the one true gospel and they would be known by their radical unity and radical generosity. I pray that this, the church would become a safe place when it has not always been that. Would you do this work that only you can do in us, through us, with us, for us? It's in the powerful, mighty, and matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen.